You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast. Well, welcome to Ridgewood Church. I know for many of you, you were looking around going, who's going to be preaching this morning? And then the guy sits on the front row and you go, what? Who is that? What is he doing, right? So my name, for, for those of you who don't know me and I've been gone for a few weeks, my name is Chad Hange, and uh, I have the privilege of um, speaking and presenting to you this morning, and it is an honor and a privilege to do so. While Pastor Paul is away uh, vacationing, and uh, uh, he uh, allowed me to have the keys to this, I think, 27 minutes, for those of you keeping time. So... Uh, that's what I intend to do is to share with you just a little bit about what, uh, what God has laid on my heart, uh, but I'm so glad that you are here. This is quite a transition or a time of transition for us and our family. Uh, my uh, oldest daughter gets married in September, which is an amazing thing. I've got three daughters, so to have a son, kind of a guy taller than me, walking around the house a little bit is like, wow, this is weird, right? Uh, and then Bailey uh, is uh, in... Um, Mongolia right now, and she'll be coming back on Saturday, so we're excited to see her, and then Sydney is going to be a senior in high school, and so we've got people coming and going, and it's quite a time and stage of life for us, but so glad that you are here. I want to present to you a topic called Four Powerful Messages That All God's Children Long to Hear. Four Powerful Messages All God's Children Long to Hear. And this really comes out of uh, my work as a marriage and family therapist, my work as a parent coach and speaker, uh, and what I do with parents, but I think it's got a broader message for us as a body of believers on how we want to interact with each other, uh, how the Lord might call us to be interacting with each other. And so I'm excited to bring uh, this to you. We are, uh, as a Denise announced, we are going to be uh, doing uh, six weeks, and I'll be helping present and lead a six-week series, Discovering God's Unique Purpose for Your Family. And I just can't underscore enough that you would make it a point to not only attend yourself, but that you would bring other people, because I think sometimes we get in the mode of thinking about where we're at, and uh, I, I, I sometimes think that in the American culture, we get this perception that that and we've heard it before, that God has a wonderful plan for your life, right? That, that it's pretty individualistic. What am I going to do with my life? And yet I think the broader question for parents in particular is, why are we all together? Why did God drop these kids into our lives? And could there be a broader purpose? And could we live on mission as a family to bless the world. And so I just want to plug that uh, a little bit more, that you would consider attending that uh, six-week workshop. And it'll be fun. It'll be interactive. You won't hear me speaking for six hours, okay? So <clears throat> you can rest assured. Um, but the content of today really comes out of the Connected Families Parenting Framework. And uh, we'll take a look at this a little bit. But I want to start off by saying that as 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 people, as we grow, we start to have, psychologists would say, our, our, um, our framework, our, our worldview, kind of cemented in by the time we're five, six, seven years old. How we look at life doesn't mean it can't change, but it's pretty secure unless we do some things to actively move that or try to 
change that or we start to develop or change our belief system. And so just think about that. By the time we're five or six years old, how we look at the world is pretty, pretty cemented, right? And so it's important to recognize that. One of my favorite, just an example. So Bailey was, uh, is my middle daughter. She was probably maybe seven or eight at the time. And I, I, I like this framing, that kids are really good observers, but they're awful interpreters. Okay, so they make wonderful observations, but how they make sense of it, the blanks that they fill in is sometimes not really all that accurate. So we're driving along and we're driving past our friend's house and out of the blue, she says to me, Dad, do you, uh, do you want to know why the Santiago's got a new van? And I'm always curious, right? Like She has no clue, right? Unless she talked to, I, I had no idea. But I'm curious when kids make these declarative statements. I'm going to tell you something that you don't know. I said, no, wh why? Why, why, didn't they, why did they get a new van? And she said, well, you could just hear you. She's like, anytime you start off with well, you know, there's a good story coming. Well, she said, well, their daughter got married and then she didn't have a vehicle. And so then they gave her the vehicle and then they got a different one. And that was her story. And then I said, hey, do you want to know what Mr. Ta Mr. Santiago told me? And she's like, what? <laughs> I was like, new information. You know something? Yes. And I said, well, here's the thing. Mr. Santiago actually told me that they, um, they were like renting this van or leasing it, and the people that they were leasing it from, they wanted it back, and so they had to get a different one. And without missing a beat, she went, oh, Okay. Right? She had new information. She observed something, and then she interpreted, and her interpretation was way off, way off. Okay? Think about uh, maybe a little bit more serious, where uh, th this child might have knocked off the milk, spilled milk on the floor, and then 10 minutes later, the parents were arguing and fighting. Okay? There's an observation, and then something happened, and this interpretation could be I made my parents fight. I made my parents mad. They got mad at each other. They're arguing because of my spilled milk. Therefore, right, then we come to this conclusion. We put a conclusion on it. Therefore, I must never mess up. You see, what, you see what's happening with those beliefs as they start to get formed and we start to look at those things through the eyes of, of kids and we're receiving messages about who we are hundreds if not thousands of times every single day. And over time, those messages start to shape us. And if we're not in line with Scripture, they'll overcome us. And we'll start doing and saying things that we don't want to do and say because of the beliefs that we might have. So let's take a look at, uh, we, all, we, all want to, we all want to believe God's truth. We all want to long to believe God's truth. We're born to know it. And yet, as I've talked a little bit about, as these perceptions and these interpretations come about, we start to believe other things and we start to get off track at times. And so I just want to share a couple things from, for you about me personally. When I was a kid, I started to believe lots of interesting things. So uh, I believed that I got value from winning, okay, winning, especially in sports. If you could win in sports in my family, you were kind of revered, 
So you would want to be a winner in sports. You definitely didn't want to lose. Don't lose. Okay, you can start to sense, you feel okay, that I'm, I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm understanding what the world is like, what, uh, what it means to be important, where my identity really comes from. Cute and funny, right? I was the youngest child and the youngest grandchild on one side of the family. And so I got a reputation of being cute and funny. And some people would still say that I'm cute. Right? You? I hope, right? Can I get an amen, karma, at least? I mean, <laughs> right? But being cute and funny and entertaining was of high value. I got a lot of accolades for those kinds of things. I was also viewed as very annoying. I know you couldn't imagine that at this point. Uh, but pestering, annoying. But as, as these things go on and as you start to move forward in life again, my personal, and I call these messages, you are statements. These you are messages. Chad, you are annoying. Okay, Chad, you are only of value when you win. Okay, and then what I started to grow up believing is that how things looked on the outside mattered more than how they actually were on the inside. And I know I'm not alone in that, right? I know I'm not alone, but I would put up these big kind of performances so people would believe that what was on the outside was great, but on the inside, there wasn't much there. Okay? And so it was just this, this idea of, of having, as a youngest, people do things for you, okay? oftentimes not having an opinion. You couldn't have an opinion. Everybody else decided things for you. Okay, youngest, are you out there, right? Yeah, David, thank you. There we go. I will say this, though, about youngest. Here's a little, um, uh, we don't like to admit it, but we're really good at, make, at getting other people to do things for us, right? Putting other people in their service. Youngest are really, really good at that. So as I grew into a parent, one of the things that came with me was this sense that I needed my kids to look really good so I could look really good. Well, now I start, that starts to bleed out of these. These messages okay, that are coming out of me start to come out in messy ways. That now I need you to act well so I can look good rather than you just behaving well for, to bless other people or to, to honor people, whatever that might be. And so that was a rut that I started to find myself in. And I'll just sum it up that oftentimes I have felt like in this message of, Chad, you are not capable, but don't let anyone see your weakness. Don't let anyone see your weakness. I can't tell you how many times early on in my professional career I felt like uh, you're, you're a fraud. Don't let anybody know or they'll never let you speak. They will never let you do this. I mean, just keep hiding that stuff because once you get exposed, but it all comes out of this belief, right, of, who am I? What's true about me? And then after I accepted Christ, there was the, yes, you are forgiven, you are a new creation, but you are accepted most when you perform well. And so that peace still kind of kept following me wherever I would go. One of my favorite, uh, favorite authors is uh, Tim Keller, and uh, he wrote a book uh, called The Prodigal God. And The Prodigal God 
is, uh, uh, says this, especially when, we're, when we are uh, working in our identity that does not come from who, who Christ is. So, yeah, this I am statement. Right? Who are you? How would you fill in that blank? I am. And here's what Tim Keller says. He's, he says, when we see the attitude of the elder brother in the story, we begin to realize one of the reasons the younger brother wanted to leave in the first place. Because there are many people today who have abandoned any kind of religious faith because they see clearly that the major religions are simply full of elder brothers. The anger and the superiority of elder brothers, all growing out of insecurity, fear, and inner emptiness, can create a huge body of guilt-ridden, fear-ridden, spiritually blind people. And that's what performance does. You've got to perform. And then I become critical of others, and I become critical of me, perhaps, but it, it oftentimes comes as an, as an expression outwardly of this critical nature, guilt-ridden, fear-ridden responses. I would like to suggest to you that we can replace those lies that we believe with the truth. And I would suggest that part of our basic Christian life is to replace lies with God's truth. What is true about this situation? What is true about me? What does God say about me? Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was about, and he says these kinds of things about himself. I am the light of the world. I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going. I know my purpose. I only do that which the Father tells me to do. I'm not alone. I stand with the Father. I'm not of this world. I am the Son of Man. And he tells us that the truth will set us free. And he declares his place in the Trinity. Before Abraham was, I am. Well, you know what? Scripture says some things about you and me as well. And I think it's important to pull these apart. In Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, you will find about 25 to 27 you are declarative statements as a believer. And these aren't conditional. Isn't that great news? This isn't the conditional you are statements. You are these things if somehow, some way, you perform well, or you don't get angry, or you, you know, not a conditional aspect to this understanding of who we are. Just listen to this. Church, body, if you are a child of God, you have received Christ. Do you know that you are holy? Do you know that you are faithful and blessed and chosen and blameless and predestined and gifted and redeemed and forgiven and lavished and bestowed with knowledge? Do you know that you're unified? Do you know you're given a purpose included? You're marked with a seal? You're guaranteed an inheritance? You're alive? You're saved by grace? That you're seated with Christ? That God's handiwork is among you, that He has gifted you and prepared you for good works, that He brought you near to God. You have access to God Almighty Himself. You are citizens 
your household members. That one just, I just think about that and go, you know, I'm walking through the kitchen. I go, hey, God, you know, it's like, he's with me. He's with me all the time. We're in the same dwelling, right, built on the foundation of apostles, prophets, and Jesus. This is who you are, church. This is who you are. I love Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 talks about, verse 12 says that you are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. I repeat that to myself over and over. Chad, remember, you are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. Do you know that about you? And not will you do, do you just know that, but will you believe that? Will you internalize that? That that's who you are. And at Connected Families, we have we've taken these, these declarations, these you are statements, and we've we've put them into four basic principles that I think we can we can take and remember. And as a body, work to continue to grow in. So church, I would like to encourage us that we would be the church that fills in the blanks for others. Because there are a lot of people that we're going to meet in our midst who have some, some lies that they're believing, they're chewing on. And uh, we can be the church that says, no, that's a lie. This is actually who you are. Remember who you are. And so we've reduced these 25, 30 UR messages into four. And the first one I just want to highlight is this message of child, child of God, you are safe. Okay? And when it comes to relationship as a church body, it's important for us to, to think about, are we safe people with each other? You're safe, emotionally safe. Physically safe, spiritually safe. Do I use the Bible as a weapon around other people? You're safe with me. Jesus, can you imagine being caught in sin? Jesus coming along and says, Hey, does no one condemn you? And then he says, Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine the, the level of safety that, that non condemning? aspect of that conversation all the people that were being drawn to Christ why <laughs> one he's God right but he treated people in a way he was a safe person the Pharisees the people who were acting out or, or putting stumbling blocks in front of all the people he, he got pretty angry with them right but the people who were wounded and hurting come here Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? It means that I'm letting go of some of my fear and anxiety, my judgments or my resentment. Okay, there's, a, there's a prayer that most of you likely have heard of called the serenity prayer. And I, I like changing, and changing just a couple words in the serenity prayer to, to help me um, focus on myself a little bit and what I can do. But the serenity prayer, the adapted version for me is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the people that I can't change. 
Okay, the courage to change the one I can and the wisdom to know it's me. Focusing on me first. Safe people tend to be able to be okay even when other people's behaviors are not or they're struggling with them. That's a question I would have to ask myself over and over as a parent. Can I be okay even if my child's behavior is not? Or do I need my child to behave well in order for me to be okay? That's like a loaded question. And then I hand out my therapy card and I say, hey, come and set up an appointment with me, right? Because that'll take a long time to try to sort through all the stuff. Yeah, but can we be a people marked by emotional, spiritual, physical safety? One of the things that creates the least amount of safety in relationships is our anger. So for us to meditate on James 1, 19 and 20, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteous living that God desires. Okay, so what do I need to get myself calmed down? <sighs> Take a breath, asking the Lord, what's the opportunity here? The next one is uh, this message of you are loved and accepted unconditionally. You're loved and accepted unconditionally. Ephesians 3, 17 says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's praying that we would be rooted and established in love. That we would let love lead. A love that would lead, and a broken heart that would lead, but that our love would lead. I know, and I've heard the verse many, many times, that we need to speak the truth in love. And I think for me, sometimes I, st I stop at speak the truth and maybe parenthetically put in love because I'm right. I want you to know that I'm right. And so I'm going to tell you the truth. And if you're upset about it, then that's your problem kind of thing because I told you the truth. Um, but what I've learned over the years is if my heart's not broken for the person I'm going to give hard truth to, it's not going to come across very loving. And so we've got this, this need, this message we want to communicate as a body to the people around us. You are safe with me and you are loved and accepted unconditionally. And we call those first two messages the messages of grace. We all need a nest of grace to fall back into when we blow it. We all need that. The next message we talk a little bit about is this message of child. You are God's workmanship. You're called and capable. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're God's workmanship, his handiwork or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. We all have capability. Denise is here saying, hey, we need some volunteers. Yeah, let's Let's bring out the, the workmanship that God has created in us. He's created us to do good works. Let's bring those out. I love how Jesus looked at potential and called it out long before it was realized. He looked at Peter and he says, 
No, your name's not going to be Simon. It's actually going to be Peter, the rock. <laughs> he looks at James and John, and he calls them sons of thunder, right? Sons of thunder. And I think as a church body, if we can be a body of believers who, who actually looks at the, the gift, maybe the raw talent that people have, and we work to develop some opportunities for those gifts to emerge and develop, what a powerful, powerful place we can be of growing up leaders, growing up people, sending them out to bless the world. And the last thing I want to highlight here is the, the message, child of God, you are responsible. You're responsible for your actions and for your life. We will blow it. Relationally, we will blow it at times. We will make mistakes. And at that point, we're going to have to make a decision. Nothing says the love of Christ is in us more than when we disagree in agreeable ways. Nothing says the love of Christ is in us than when we disagree in agreeable ways. Love has to be our guide. That's tough. And I don't do this all the time. Sometimes I forget the love. And when I do that, I can either rationalize my position and justify my treatment of someone or else I can humbly apologize, come back, own my stuff and make it right. And I think this is the place where, where the, the people outside the church look at the church and they go, what do you, how do you do conflict? How do you take responsibility for your actions? The world's watching and at Ridgewood, this is one of those areas where we can be a shining light of the gospel by how we treat each other when we are disagreeing with each other. Last, I haven't been at Ridgewood for the last couple of weeks, so we were at Okaboji Bible Conference, and I was speaking on a topic on spiritual warfare. Uh, it's like, that sounded good in January when I agreed to do it, but uh, there's a lot of warfare that goes around speaking on spiritual warfare. So, uh, but I just, just come to, a couple of things that come to mind with, with this reconciliation piece. When we refuse to reconcile well, I believe that we block the work of Christ or we hinder the work. We block the moving or hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. We grow in resentment and bitterness. And here's the thing, is that we generally try to convince other people to see things our way. Start to develop a little group of people to see things similarly. But when we reconcile, when we humble ourselves and we seek forgiveness and desire unity and we set aside our need to be right, like the Holy Spirit just moves in us, when we keep our relationships and our accounts short, when we reconcile well, will we be a body that will reconcile well when we blow it, humbly coming before another person and saying, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Right? Nothing sweeter. Nothing sweeter. So what if? What if we made it a point 
to grow in these four messages. Child of God, you are safe with me. You are loved no matter what. You are called and capable, and you are responsible. It's a powerful model. Powerful model. And I believe it would honor and glorify and bring power through the Holy Spirit as He works in and through us. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.